So I'm going to be speaking from the same passage that Che was due to do, which is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. So without further ado, let's crack on, where Isaiah writes, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. But to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, I want to show you a picture of the nativity. It's a painting attributed to the Dutch artist Rembrandt. I love the way the artist has light emanating from the baby, illuminating everyone in the painting, even eclipsing the lamplight held by one of the shepherds. It reminded me of a beautiful song that Graham Kendrick, the gospel writer, wrote a few years ago. It's called the Candle Song. The first verse says of the infant Christ, Like a candle flame, flickering small in our darkness, uncreated light shines through infant eyes. I love that line, uncreated light shines through infant eyes. It expresses something of the wonder and mystery of what is happening as this child is born. Now, if you read the accounts in Matthew and Luke's gospel about the nativity, they zoom in microcosmically into the scene and they tell us quite a few details. For example, they name the king of the period, King Herod, of, king of Judah. They name an emperor, Roman emperor of the time, Caesar Augustus. They name a governor of the time, Quirinius, governor of Syria. In their accounts, we hear about a census, a stable, about angels and shepherds, about wise men and a wondrous star. We learn about the precious gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. So they zoom into this microcosmic view of the nativity. The apostle John, on the other hand, he zooms right out to the macrocosmic. He zooms out. And he tells us this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Isaiah does both. He zooms in, for to us a child is born. He makes it personal. But he also zooms out as well to the big picture of the greatness of his government and of peace. There will be no end. In the painting I showed you, the artist has dressed the people in the clothes of his own time, 17th century Holland. He doesn't paint them in the clothing of the period in which the nativity took place, or even in that culture. I wonder, why did he do that? Why did he paint them in 17th century Dutch 
costumes. I suspect he did it so that people of the day could identify themselves with the scene. It would help enable them to feel that this scene of the infant Christ was relevant to them in their day. If the painting was done today, for example, maybe the figures may be dressed in jeans, a hoodie or two, body warmers, fluorescent jacket maybe. Isaiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, does something very similar. In verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And it's very clear when you read the book of Isaiah that the us goes beyond the Jewish people. The artist of the painting I showed you wanted the people of the day to see how this was relevant for them. Isaiah wants us to see that the birth of this wondrous child is relevant to all of us today if we're prepared to see it. Isaiah brings a message of hope for his time and for our time. During the time of Isaiah... The people of Israel were in exile. Their land had been conquered. Why was that? It was because the people had broken God's covenant time and time again. They refused to listen. There was injustice. There was immorality. There was idol worship. Even their own children would be being sacrificed in the fire to the demon gods. But Isaiah brings this far-reaching message of hope that's going to transform people's lives. And the Lord is going to do it through this child. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. It's an extraordinary plan that God has in mind. What darkness, I wonder, is Isaiah referring to? Here are a few things that might be referring to. The darkness of not knowing God of being alienated from him, who is the source of all goodness and truth, the darkness of not knowing why I was born and the purpose of my life, the darkness of not knowing God's master plan for the cosmos, the darkness of not knowing that I'm deeply loved by him and that he has an amazing purpose for my life. I wonder, do you ever feel as if you are walking in the darkness? But God doesn't want to leave us in the darkness. And so this child is born. And something tremendously radical is going to happen through this child as he grows into maturity in a way that no one anticipated. For example, this child is going to astound the wise men of his day when he's 12 years old and he goes into the temple. And they ask him questions, and he astounds them with his answers. And he asks them questions that they can't answer. He's going to cross the divide of race and gender. He's in Samaria one day, and Jews didn't go through Samaria. He crosses that divide, and he sits down by a well, and he speaks with a Samaritan woman. Unheard of for a Jewish rabbi to be doing something like that. Jesus crosses those divides. He's going to eat with the riffraff, the outcasts, the undesirables of the day. He dines with publicans and sinners they accused him of. He's going to come down hard against those who have power and influence, but do nothing to help the downtrodden. He's going to wash dirty feet as a servant does and explain 
that the way to true greatness is down, not up. He's going to reject the trappings of the world, its power, its status, its influence, in favor of a ride on a donkey and a crown of thorns. He's going to suffer and die in the most barbaric manner, but it's impossible that death can hold him because he is sinless. It's a message of hope because Jesus wants to include you and me in his own masterpiece. Jesus comes in utter weakness and vulnerability as that baby in a manger. And he dies in utter weakness and vulnerability on a cross. And yet, it will be as Isaiah tells us in verse 4, as in the day of Midian's defeat. Well, what's that all about? Well, to find the story of Midian's defeat, we have to look in the book of Judges. At the time of Gideon, when the Midianites came in like a swarm of locusts, it describes them as. Their army was so vast, the amount of camels they had could not be numbered. It looked as if Israel was in an impossible situation. And what does God do? He whittles down the Israelite army until there are only 300 left. And with this puny, vulnerable army, he defeats the whole of Midian. In their apparent weakness, he uses them to defeat a hugely superior force. I wonder, there are times perhaps when we feel weak and puny, powerless to change people and situations. But part of seeing that great light that Isaiah talks about is seeing that God is with us. Now that so easily trips off our tongue, doesn't it? Emmanuel, God is with us. But let's stop for a moment and think about what that might mean. Think about what it might mean for you in your situation, with your circumstances. And I know some of them, but I don't know all by any means. But I do know this, Emmanuel, God is with us. And surely that is the story of Christmas, that Emmanuel comes, not just to be in that stable on that day with the animals and the kings and the shepherds coming in, but today, here by his spirit with you and me, God is with us. What situations are you facing in your life at the moment? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. When we look at the state of the world, when we look at the governments of this world, sometimes we can despair. I mean, even our own government at the moment and the struggles that they're facing with all the strikes that are going on, and we look around the world at some of the states of the governments that there are, when we look at what's going on between Russia and Ukraine, we can despair. And yet, Isaiah tells us that the government will be on his shoulders, on Christ's shoulders, And it seems as if the world is falling apart and going down to despair. And yet, Isaiah brings this message of hope that actually, just as when Christ came and the disciples looked at him on the cross and they thought, all is lost. Defeat is staring us in the face. Look what's happened to the one that we placed our hope in. It's all over. And we can look at the world today like that. We can even look at our own situation like that today and say, all is lost. It's over. It's finished. I can go no further. The world is falling apart. And yet, Isaiah tells us, actually, the government will be on his shoulders, even today. 
What am I saying is this, that the world is actually in Christ's hands, even though we can't see it. And it's all heading in his direction. And one day we will see the wolf eat with the lamb. One day it says the trees of the field will clap their hands. We're not there yet. And yet, Emmanuel, God is with us. And I want to say to you this morning, God is with you. If you know Jesus as the Lord and say, he is with you, what are the situations, what are the circumstances that you face today? God is with you in it. He's the one who made the cosmos. I saw a full moon the other day and I thought, wow, it's the glory of God there. Look at the stars at night. We've seen recently, we've seen the planet Jupiter. We've seen the planet Mars closer to the earth than it's been for a long, long time and will be for a long, long time to come. Who put it there? Emmanuel. Emmanuel put it there. And the thing about Jesus is this. Not only does he uphold the, the world in the palms of his hands, he upholds you and me. Do you realize that you're in Jesus' hands and that he is upholding you? If the Lord can carry the government of the cosmos on his shoulders, then can he not carry you? The message of hope is still as relevant today as it was then. It's a message of hope, not just for then, but it's a message of hope for today. And the second thing I want to say is that we need to trust him. In his song, The Candle, in the second verse, Graham Kendrick writes, Stars and angels sing, yet the earth sleeps in shadows. Can this tiny spark set a world on fire? As the infant Christ sleeps in a manger, he's like the mighty oak inside the acorn. All the DNA is there. For this child, although appearing in a humble manner, has got some rather glorious names. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Christ is the fountain of wisdom. We all need wisdom through life. How to act in a good way to the different situations we face. We all need wisdom, for example, when it comes to relationships. You know, human beings have got the most potential to bless in the world. And that means the opposite can also happen. can be the most stressful when relationships break down. They can be tricky and not just in the royal family. Wisdom we need in bringing up our children. Wisdom in our marriage. Wisdom as a single person. Wisdom as we relate to people at work and neighbors. Wisdom as we navigate through difficult situations in life. Ones that we might never choose to go through. Wisdom is required. Are you in a tricky situation? Ask the Lord for wisdom. His wisdom, and he will give it to you. He is the wonderful counselor. He's also the mighty God, which speaks of his power. God is able to uphold you by his power. Now, I've been coming to Kings for almost 50 years. And uh, as I have been part of this church for that length of time... I have observed and noticed and seen and been involved in many people's lives down through the years. And one of the things that I have observed, and even today, and I know that there are people here sitting here today whose lives I've seen and shared part of with them, and I've seen this. The Lord has upheld them by his power. They've been through difficult situations. 
situations that perhaps no one would like to go through. They've been through them, and the Lord has upheld them by his power. And even today, the Lord is upholding you by his power. Every single person here. We can have confidence in that. But the thing I've noticed as well is this. God's power is often understated. And we see that time and again in Jesus' ministry. There's the occasion, if you remember where, there's a a girl, she's 12 years old, and her dad comes to Jesus and asks if he will come to the house. And Jesus goes. But on the way, they said, don't bother the teacher because she's dead. And Jesus says, no, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And he goes to the house and there's wailing and mourning going on because the child has died. And Jesus goes in, he gets everybody out of the house apart from a couple of his disciples, and he goes in and he raises the girl to life. But I think the thing that I love (laughs) as well is what Jesus says. He says, don't tell anyone. I just love that. It's so understated of the way God works at times. He's powerful. He's almighty. He is beyond our imagining. And yet... Just as in the manger, he comes as this vulnerable infant child. Another occasion, there's a man who is deaf and he can't speak. And the crowds come to Jesus and they bring the man to Jesus. And they ask, what can you do? And Jesus takes the man to one side away from the crowd. And he gives him his hearing. And he gives him his speech. And then what does he say? Don't tell anyone. I love that. I love the fact, and often I've seen God's power at work in this church in many and multiple ways among living, breathing, real human beings with the ordinary, difficult circumstances of life, and I've seen you being upheld by the power of God. Often not that dramatic bolt of lightning type of power, but the power that causes that little green shoot to come through the concrete. No less powerful, but quiet and sometimes hidden. And that same power is at work in you and me. Why? Because of Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God is with us. He's the mighty God. He's also the everlasting Father. God is relational. Now, how many dads have we got here today? Raise your hands. Lovely. All right, you can put your hands down now. You love your kids, don't you? And I've, I, sometimes I see on Facebook many posts, dads and kids, and uh, you know, the relationship that is great to see. You love your kids, don't you? I've got three. I love them, unashamedly. And I tell them I love them. And I hug them. And hopefully I show them in different ways that I love them. And I hope you do too. Where does all that come from? It's a little spark of what Jesus gives us because he's the everlasting father. He's a relational God. And his arms are open and he says, come to me, come to me. I'm Emmanuel, I'm the everlasting father. You, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to you? Jesus is the everlasting father. He's the mighty God. He's the wonderful counselor. And he's the prince of peace. And that to me speaks of reconciliation. It's a horrible thing when families and individuals are not reconciled. It's a horrible thing to see in a marriage where husband and wife are not reconciled. It's terrible. I've seen it happening. 
It's a horrible thing. And we see it being played out publicly amongst our royal family at the moment. There's a lack of reconciliation between Prince Harry and his family over here in England. Whatever the ins and outs of it, and I don't know, but I don't like to see that there's no reconciliation. Imagine what it's like when we are not reconciled with the holy God. With the one who gives life and breath to every human being in the cosmos and every living creature. To not be reconciled to him is a horrible thing. Jesus comes. He's the prince of peace. Why? Because he comes to bring reconciliation. He comes to bring reconciliation between you and me. Between God and us. He comes to bring that reconciliation. He's the prince of peace. It's a terrible thing when people are not reconciled. You see it played out in the royal family and it's horrible to see. We don't want to be people who are not reconciled to God. We want to be reconciled with him. And Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace to give us that peace with God. We have peace with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul writes. We trust God. Isaiah says in verse 7 here of chapter 9, of the greatness of his, in other words, Christ's government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord Almighty. You know, when the Apostle John sees the glorified Christ in the book of Revelation, one of the things he sees about Christ is Christ's eyes are blazing like fire. Wow. How scary is that? And yet, that fire represents the zeal that Jesus has. The zeal for his church, which is you and me. There's a fire that burns within him, even now, for you and me. Because Jesus loves us so much. He loves us so much that he came to planet earth as a vulnerable child in the manger. But now he's the risen Christ. And he has a zeal for you and me. I don't know about you, but sometimes my zeal waxes and wanes. Sometimes I have wild enthusiasm for what's going on in the church. And at other times I think, do I have to? Maybe you're not like that. Maybe your zeal burns bright all the time. But Jesus' zeal never waxes and wanes. And it's a zeal for you and me. And it's, and it's uh, fired up by his love. Jesus is zealous for you. He's zealous for his people. He loves his people. There's a determination that he has and a passion that he has for his church. Isaiah brings a message of hope, a message that shows that God is in charge. He is at work, and it's still a message of hope for you and me today. What are you facing? What difficulties might you have in your life? There is still that message of hope because of Emmanuel. God is with you. Whatever you're going through, his sacred promise is this. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And he has a zeal. He has a passion. Inspired by his holy love for you and me. God is doing his own masterpiece. And he wants you to be part of it. Perhaps you already are. If so, let's reaffirm our trust And in his unfailing love, for he is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, 
the Prince of Peace. And of his government, there will be no end. So let's make sure we're lined up with him today. If you're not, then now's an opportunity to do that. And now's an opportunity for each one of us to reaffirm our devotion to him, our love for him, and our trust in him. So what I'm going to do now as I close, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. And then if it's something that you agree with as I pray, just say amen with me at the end, okay? Let's do that then. Father, you're the everlasting Father. We thank you. We thank you for your amazing love. Higher than the highest heaven. Deeper than the deepest ocean. Thank you that you've taken our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have a zeal for your church, Lord Jesus. We want to say thank you for your amazing love. And we want to reaffirm our trust in you, Lord. Whatever circumstances we're going through, we want to say we trust in your unfailing love. Amen. Sister Ruth is going to take over now. Thank you, Ruth.